0: Okay, if you'd like to turn me to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and verse 5, Romans 8, 5, the Bible says, for they that are after the flesh do mind, what? The things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit, For to be carnally minded is what? Death. But to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. That's what we want. We want the life and peace. Uh, We don't want the carnal mind that leads to death. So last week we began to look at the fact that the flesh does not choose the right options. We should never even give the flesh a vote because it's weak. Um, If you hold your place here, notice with me in Matthew 26, Matthew 26, and verse 41, Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is what? Willing, Willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. Weak. So we don't want to give the flesh a vote because if we give the flesh a vote, it will always choose wrong. So back in Romans chapter 8, as we think about this, we don't want to be carnally minded, but we want to be spiritually minded. So last week we began to look at this matter of dying to self. The flesh looks at that as, oh, that'd be a horrible life. Not giving in to the flesh and but yielding our spirits to God, that, oh, that would be a horrible life. That would not be fun. Well, the flesh is wrong. Um, let's go to John 12, John chapter 12 and verse 24. John 12 and verse 24. So what the flesh thinks is fun doesn't end up being fun. Last week we looked extensively at alcohol. Um, the flesh, as you, as saying something to my wife, we drove by a gas station this week, and it was advertising a brand of beer. I, I don't remember which brand it was, but they said 30-pack. And I said to my wife, I said, do you remember when we were young? People who drank beer talked about going out and getting a what? Six pack. A six-pack. And now it's a 30-pack pack. That kind of just shows where our country is, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, years ago, they would go get a six pack. Today, stop at the gas station and get a 30 pack. It's wow. It just, it just shows where America is. Um, so John 12, 24. Verily, verily, I say, unto you except a corn of wheat fall into the ground, and what? die it abideth alone but if it die it bringeth forth much fruit he that loveth his life shall what lose it and he that hateth his life in this world shall what keep it unto life eternal well that just doesn't that, that verse 25 to the flesh just doesn't sound right what uh He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. I mean, the world is telling us, psychologists tell us, well, your problem is you you don't have a high enough self-esteem. You don't think highly enough of yourself. Well, that's our exact opposite problem. We think too highly of ourselves. That's our problem, not the cure. Um, Notice in Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14. But the flesh... It's weak. And so it hears something that sounds easy and pleasurable to the flesh. And the flesh says, yeah, that's right, but it's wrong. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seemeth what? Right, right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Yeah. Death. You know, the flesh loves to laugh, and there's nothing wrong with being happy, but we're looking at what is true happiness this morning. But the flesh loves to laugh and have a good time. But if the laughing is at immoral things or improper things, like the world loves to laugh at those type of things, that's not real happiness. If the flesh, if the flesh, loves to laugh at the expense of somebody else, you know, mocking someone else and belittling someone else, that laughing is not going to bring true peace. Um, Notice here in Proverbs 14, verse 13, it says, even in laughter, the heart is what? Sorrowful. Sorrowful. You know, if we are if to get a good laugh, we're mocking someone else or scoffing at them or making them look really bad, that doesn't bring happiness and peace to us in the end. Even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. In the end of that mirth is what? Heaviness. Heaviness. The end of that mirth is heaviness. What does mirth mean? Uh, according to Noah Webster's dictionary, mirth means social merriment, hilarity, high excitement of pleasurable feelings in company, noisy gaiety. And uh, the last part of the definition says this Mirth differs from joy and cheerfulness as always implying noise. Um, so read that verse again here. Um, and let's read verses 12 and 13. Excuse me. Um, yes, 12 and 13. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Even in laughter the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. So centering on mirth is the idea of gaiety with noise. So the end of all that noise is what? There's not true happiness in the end. It's emptiness. It's interesting. God used Solomon to write Proverbs 14, 13. Even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. Now go to another book that God used him to write, Ecclesiastes. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes two, and verse one. Now, uh, brother Tom had a chance to talk to some Mormons this week, and and they're off in their many doctrines. But um, you'll get groups like that that will go to the Book of Ecclesiastes and try to try to prove unscriptural things. What is the Book of Ecclesiastes all about? Well. If you look in chapter 1, first of all, chapter 1 and verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of who? David, David, king in Jerusalem. So it's the son of David, it's Solomon. And then verse 2, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is what? Vanity. Vanity." So Solomon is going to tell us, he's going to get, the book of Ecclesiastes really is Solomon's testimony of how he had it all and played the fool he had wealth greater than any other king he had wisdom greater than any other man on earth and yet he threw it all away he thought his biggest downfall was he thought he had to experience it and that's that's the a huge temptation for young people is in life is you know the We as their parents and as Christians and as a church, we try to tell people what the Bible says, but the world is telling them uh, like Satan did to Eve. You know, uh, hold your place here. Go back to Genesis 3. What was Satan trying to get at with her? It's like, how do you know unless you experience it? How do you really know it's bad unless you try it? And that's the catch, isn't it? That's the trap. Um, In Genesis 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. So here he's putting doubt. Are you sure God said this? Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, What? Ye shall not surely die. So he puts doubt in Eve's mind. You know, hasn't God said this? And of course he's leaving off the half if you go back to chapter two and verse 16, sixteen. and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Well Satan deals with that part, but verse 17, he totally misses, throws out. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt what? Not "Not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So if you go back to chapter 3, verse 1, Satan is leaving off the important part of verse 17 of chapter 2. And then the woman says, verse 2, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But she brings up, verse 3, But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And, of course, she added the part about touching it. They wouldn't die if they touched it. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. And now he's going to tempt her. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be what? Opened, and ye shall be as what? God's knowing good and evil. So he's throwing that back. Eve, how do you know it's bad unless you try it? God is withholding something from you. God knows that if if you would eat of this tree, you would be as God's knowing good and evil. And so he's tempting her. Try it. How can you knock it until you've tried it? That's the world, isn't it? You know, how do you know it's bad? Have you tried it? Um, how do you know hitting your thumb with a hammer is bad? Does anyone, know, anyone here know that? Yeah. Has anyone here never hit your thumb with a hammer? Okay. So, how many of you want to try it out? No, no. You believe it's bad. Well, in the same way, uh, why would we want to try what the world says is good when we see the devastation from it? I mean, a hurricane just hit Florida. How many of you would love to go through a hurricane? Not a hand. Why? Because you saw the devastation that happened. That's why you don't want to go through one. What's the same way we look around the world? Look at what they go through. Why would we want to try what they try? We shouldn't. So, but, but that's the world, the flesh, and the devil trying to tempt us. So if we go to Ecclesiastes, so it was Solomon um, that wrote in Proverbs fourteen thirteen. even in laughter the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. And now in Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 1. So... This is the testimony of a man who had it all and played the fool. That will explain a lot of what he says in this book. Ecclesiastes 2:1 I said in mine heart, Go to now, I will prove thee with what? Mirth. mirth. What is mirth? It's, it's a lot of noise with laughter and gaiety and trying to have a good time, a party. So once again, he uses that word. I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is what? Vanity. Vanity. What does vanity mean? Empty. Vanity means empty. We all have in our bathrooms vanity mirrors. So what do you think that means? Why did they name those vanity mirrors? (laughs) Because people spend a lot of time looking at themselves in front of those mirrors, that's why. So they're called vanity mirrors. Um, So, God has Solomon write, behold, this is vanity. What is vanity? Uh, Seeking mirth and seeking just to enjoy pleasure. So, when the show is over, then the happiness is gone, the supposed happiness. Um, In verse 2, Ecclesiastes 2, 2, I said of laughter, it is what? Mad. Mad. And of what? There's that word again. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, so-and-so is just the life of the party? Well, the Bible says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. So, there's there's nothing wrong with joy and happiness. What we're looking at this morning is looking for true joy and true happiness. Uh, But this type of mirth and laughter he's talking about, he says it it is mad. In Strong's Concordance, that word is defined as to make a show, to boast, and thus to be clamorously foolish. So, this is the one that may be the life of the party, but he really he makes a fool out of himself. And so when he goes home, what then? Who's going to laugh? Um, you know, especially if he's said, especially at the party, if he's said a lot of things that have offended his family or somebody else, is he going to be happy when he goes home? No. He may have got all kinds of laughs at the party, but when he goes home, he's what? He's in trouble. <laughs> That's what he is. His family is not happy with him. He's in trouble. So this is what Solomon said. I said, verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad and of mirth. What doeth it? He's, when he searched it out and experienced it, he said, you know what? This is nothing but an empty show. In the end, it's like the woman at the well. Um, notice in uh, John chapter four, John chapter four, and verse fifteen, John four fifteen. The Bible says the woman saith unto him, "Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw." Jesus saith unto her, "What? Go call thy husband and come hither." The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in what? This This mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. You know. This woman was living in an immoral life, and yet she had what? Her religion. What does Jesus say to her? Verse 21. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what? We know what we worship, for salvation is what? Of the Jews. Of the Jews. It's like the Mormons that talked to Brother Tom this week. They're out with a religion, but they don't know if they're going to heaven. And the reason is because they're not. They they don't have that assurance, that confidence, because they have a false worship. Verse 22, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh. And now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in what? In spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and in, truth. in spirit and truth. You know what the difference between worshiping God in spirit and in truth and the mirth we're talking about in Ecclesiastes, and now Ecclesiastes two, the madness. Remember that madness means to make a show, to boast to be clamorously foolish. You know what the difference is between the true worship of God and true Christianity and this clamor, this mirth? Is this clamor and this mirth and this madness is nothing but a what? A show. But when we know Christ, he is our what? Our life. He is our life. It's not just a show. It's our life. My wife and I were at the grocery store, uh, I think it was this last week, and we walked in and was getting a cart, and somebody else was just putting a cart back. And I saw him look at me, but then we went on our way because I didn't know him. And then, I don't know, um, I guess we were getting the cart, and then I don't know exactly what he was doing, but he'd come back and he says, Don't I know you? And so I have a natural reaction And he, he said, you gave me one of those cards. That's how he, he recognized me. That's what he called the gospel track is, you gave me one of those cards. Uh, what, do, what do people think of us? Is, is it just a show or is it everywhere we are? Everywhere we are. Do people think about Christ when they think about us, or do they think about, you know, that guy's full of mirth, or that guy's full of madness? You know, that guy puts on a good show, but it's kind of the opposite. You know, there's a, I guess, a a very, um, well, I'll just call him a celebrity. I I really don't know anything about the guy. Well. I guess I do remember something. They said in an article, he's a rapper, I guess a Christian rapper. (laughs) Uh, I'm using the word Christian very loosely, but anyway, um, so he offended a bunch of people recently. And so he's been in the news. Uh, I I mainly just read the headlines and a lot of this stuff, but so I've read the headlines for probably a week, this this guy. People are mad at him around the world because of something he did. And so his response was, so I started to read one of the articles, and so he's a, I mean, he's against abortion, and I mean, he speaks out against all kinds of things. And so somebody is asking him about these things he's done that's offended the, the liberal world, and he He, the one writing the article, uses one letter of a swear word and then you know some blanks. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, so this guy is a is a Christian, and they're quoting him, cursing out the liberal world using terminology the liberal world would use. And I'm thinking, come on. Um, So we don't just want to show. Christ is our life. Notice in Acts 20. So what does bring happiness? Well, it's certainly not living a life where we are seeking our own pleasure. In Acts 20.35, Acts 20.35. I have showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of who? Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more what? Blessed to give give than to what? Receive. Receive. Uh, It was always, I was always come to a happy point when our children got old enough where they were more excited at Christmas about someone opening the gift they had for them um, than to get, receive a gift personally. That that was always a, a pinnacle there, just to, to see them happy, more happy about what they were giving than what they might receive. And we know that's true, don't we? I mean, we can do all kinds of things for ourselves, and at the end of the day, not be happy, because nothing in this world is perfect, is it? Yesterday, we were out witnessing, and um, we came to a house, and... This guy had two dogs out in the yard one of them jumped up on my door with his claws you know and and the guy was was so um, uh, apologetic oh i'm sorry i'm sorry this, my dog jumped on your car and he pulls his dog down and and um and then so it's a short conversation but anyway his dog does it again and so at the next house or so when i got out you know i just see these dog prints you know dirt up there and then i see the scratches on my door and, and so i got back in the car and I says you know there was a day when i'd really be upset about that because i thought too much of cars and um so hey a few scratches for the lord amen uh the lord the lord uh is so gracious um, I'm, I'm not going to complain. It's just a car. It's, it's not that I go around scratching it on purpose, but if it's got to be scratched, uh, let it be scratched serving the Lord. Amen? Uh, so, so the Lord said it's more blessed to give than to receive. We know that's true. When I mean, we can try to do the nicest we can for ourselves, and it's never perfect. And so there's always that level of disappointment in whatever we do. Uh, But when we're serving the Lord and others, then we go home or then after that time we invest. There's just that peace, isn't there? Uh, There's just that peace knowing that what we did with serving God and others will will count for eternity. Uh, If we go back to Ecclesiastes 2, So Solomon is setting out. Remember, this is his testimony. He tells us what he set out to do and how it all ended. In Ecclesiastes 2, verse 3, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto what? To wine. Yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom. Well, how do you give yourself unto wine and acquaint yourself with wisdom? God used Solomon to write in Proverbs 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is what? Not wise. So, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainted mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. You see, Ecclesiastes 2 is Solomon testifying, you know what? I just decided I was going to try everything out and see what was in it, what wasn't. Verse 4 I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water where, therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. Can you imagine? This guy had unlimited finances. Can you imagine the beauty of his home and yard? I mean, the orchard, the trees, the pools of water. I mean, that had to be one beautiful place. But what you know what happens. So when you landscape your yard and you plant lots of flowers and you have rocks and stones and pools of water... What does that lead to? A lot of work (laughs) is what it leads to. Uh, We go up to doors all the time, and, and I'll see a spot that was beautifully landscaped. And what takes over if you don't keep on it? Weeds, weeds. So beautiful rocks, now we're all grown with weeds, and beautiful flower beds are filled with weeds, and and pools. You you have people with these little plastic pools and different rock formations where the water comes down. And what happens to water in the summertime if it's not taken care of? What does it turn? Green. <laughs> it turns green, and not the pretty green like uh, the Bahamas or something. That water, it's uh like moldy (laughs) green, like a swamp green. So there's nothing wrong with having a beautiful home and a beautiful yard, but as anyone who's ever tried it knows, then it takes a lot of work. And funny thing is, that's just what he brings up next. He said in verse 4, he made these great works. In verse 5, the gardens, orchards. Verse 6, the pools of water. Verse 7, I got me what? Servants and maidens. Why did you do that, Solomon? Well, you do all that fancy stuff. You know, you you can build a huge house, but who's going to keep it clean? Uh, We can have acres and acres of grass, but who's going to mow it? (laughs) Uh, So everything we do just requires a lot of labor, So he got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. So he he got the animals, verse 8. I gathered me also silver and gold. So he he tried to multiply his wealth. And this is, and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. So, people that are extremely wealthy then they start investing in things works of art pictures sculptures that are ridiculously expensive you know i mean how many of you would pay 15 million dollars for a painting to hang in your living room none of us but see solomon got in he had so much money that now he's investing in peculiar treasures I got me men singers and women singers. He didn't have a radio to turn on or a, a MP3 player. He had the real thing. Men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments. Okay, you have all those people singing. Well, uh, you need some accompaniment there, so you've got to buy all these instruments, musical instruments and that of all sorts. Verse 9, he says, So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Verse 10, this is his testimony. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I was Kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. Verse 11, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought. The homes, the orchards, the pools, uh, his musicians, the instruments, the orchestra, all this thing. And behold, all was what? Vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no prophet under the sun. Verse 15, then said I in my heart, as it happened to who? The fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise than I said in my heart that this also is vanity? And then, I mean, okay, so we get a nice home, a nice yard, nice things. Okay, someday we're going to go to be with the Lord. Now, who are we going to leave all of our things to normally? Family, your children. But look, Solomon became so self-centered. Verse 17, Therefore I, what? Hated I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun, because, why did you hate all of your labor, Solomon? Because I should leave it unto the man that shall be what? after me and who who would that go to his family his children can you imagine just how miserable he was in that sense where he is so wealthy and has made such beautiful things and he's telling us he hates life because he's going to leave it to the person that comes after him who was that it's it's your children Can you you see just how treacherous we become when we become selfish? I mean, where we we don't even care about our own children? Where we're mad that our children are going to get to inherit something? That's really sad, isn't it? Some years ago, and I don't remember any of the details, but some years ago there was a, a very wealthy person and... Someone asked him about who was going to get his inheritance, and he was mad at his children about something, and they weren't going to get it. He's going to give it to somebody else. Isn't that sad? But that's the the end of a selfish life. So the bottom line is the flesh flesh thinks that life would be terrible if we die to self and live for God and others. But there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So the flesh is wrong. The way to true happiness is dying to self and living for God and others. That is the life of true peace and happiness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, help us to be in your word because the flesh just likes to take over and rule and make decisions. And it's the wrong decisions. It does not bring happiness nor contentment. So, Lord, help us to believe your word without having to experience the emptiness and the turmoil of following this whole world. Please bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.